You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. You can change the world. You can change the world. Now, some of you don't believe that. And some of you dismiss that as preacher talk. But this morning in our text, we're going to examine a case study as to how living the Christian life can change the world. And I want to show you this in Ephesians chapter 6. To turn there with me, Ephesians chapter 6. We are continuing this study line by line, verse by verse. And we've made it to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. This is Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus in the first century. And when you found your place, I want to ask you, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Now, uh, just a quick heads up. Next Sunday, after Thanksgiving, we'll begin a Christmas series. Because you don't do Christmas stuff before Thanksgiving. You know that, right? Decoration, music, you don't do it before Thanksgiving. You do it after Thanksgiving, okay? Actually, I'm giving in. We're decorating a little early because of our schedule, so we are doing some Christmas decorating this week, but it goes against the way I was raised, all right, just so you know. All right. So next Sunday, we'll begin a Christmas series titled, O Little Town of Bethlehem. We're going to spend three weeks talking about the importance of the town where Jesus was born, the town of Bethlehem. So I'm excited about that study, Uh, and then we'll... Uh, get through the holidays, and in January, we'll jump back into the book of Ephesians, and we'll start on the armor of God passage. Very excited about that. But this morning, we're in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Paul writes, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we are so grateful, so grateful for this opportunity to gather as a faith family. Lord, we get to fix our eyes upon Jesus and proclaim the greatness of Christ, the glories of the gospel in song. 
together. And we don't want to take that for granted. And Lord, we get to study your word. Lord, to, to dig into the riches of truth. And to know that by your spirit, you're going to use your word to speak into our lives. So Lord, we are grateful for this time. We ask you to move with power that we might be changed. And by extension, Lord, we might be your instruments to change the world. We love you. We praise you. We're so grateful for the cross and the empty tomb. And we lift this prayer up to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As I've said often, quoting J. Sidlow Baxter, the first three chapters of Ephesians are about our wealth in Christ, all the spiritual blessings that are ours when we become followers of Jesus. The next three chapters, chapters 4 through 6, are about our walk with Christ, how we ought to live in light of all that Christ has done for us. And Paul gets very, very practical in this this section talking about our walk with Christ. In fact, the past few weeks we've talked about things like marriage and parenting, what happens in the home. In the first century, uh, it was customary for them to have household codes, some rules for how you ought to exercise uh, your uh, life, uh, how you ought to live your life out in the home. And And they would have rules for couples and rules for parents. But there are also rules for the interaction between servants or slaves and their masters. And so Paul picks up on this and shares these Christian household codes. And he talks here about slaves and masters and the the relationship that ought to be between those two in the first century. And so I want to discuss this passage under three different headings or from three different perspectives. First of all, I want to talk about this passage from a historical perspective. I want us to think about what it means uh, for slaves and masters to interact with one another as Christians, a historical perspective. And then we'll look at this uh, passage from a practical perspective and then a spiritual perspective. But first of all, let's discuss this passage from a historical perspective. Notice what Paul says there in verse 5. Bond servants. Bond servants. This uh, word bond servants comes from the word doulos, the Greek word doulos, which simply means servant or slave. And notice there he says, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. What are we to make as Christians about Paul discussing slavery, the interaction between slaves and masters in the first century. What what are we to think about this passage? We need to know that in the first century there were many slaves in the Roman Empire. There were an estimated 60 million slaves, which made up almost half of the entire population. Slavery was a way of life, and it was entrenched in the culture of that day. It was universally accepted. And there were slaves in all different avenues of life. 
life. Uh, slaves constituted the workforce and included not only domestic servants, but manual laborers. Many slaves in the first century were educated. You had physicians who were slaves and teachers who were slaves and administrators who were slaves. And there are different ways in the first century that people became enslaved. They could be inherited slaves. They could be in a family of slaves. They could be purchased from someone, by someone, and purchased to be a slave. They could be acquired in the settlement of a bad debt. If someone could not pay their debt, they could be acquired and would have to live out their life as a slave. Prisoners of war, and you know the Roman Empire uh, was involved in a lot of military conflict. Prisoners of war could become slaves. This was a part of the, the fabric of life in the first century Roman Empire. And someone might read this passage where Paul is giving these house, Christian household codes, how slaves and masters ought to interact and think, well, why didn't Paul just, just come right out and denounce slavery and, and call it what it is? Egregious evil. And, 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 and just say, slavery should come to an end. Well, you need to understand the realities of the first century. Christians were a very small minority. And it's laughable to think that Paul would make an appointment with Caesar and march in one day and say, Hey, uh, Nero, I've been thinking about this slavery thing. It's wicked. It's wrong. You should stop it right now. What would happen to Paul? He would have been laughed at and probably beheaded. Christians had no voice in the first century Roman Empire. They, they were not even paid attention to by the elite of the day. And Paul is helping us to understand here that his ministry was not to overthrow the Roman government or any of its institutions as evil as they might be. His goal, his ministry, was to preach the gospel and win the lost to Christ. But when that began to happen, when more and more people became Christians as a response to the gospel, guess what? Things began to change. Even with this issue of slavery. But remember, in the first century, Christians had no political voice at all. None. And so it would have been totally impractical for Paul to begin a movement of abolition. It, it never would have worked. The, the institute of slavery would have, would have continued on, untouched, unfazed. But there's another way to address the evils, and it is through the gospel. Because here's what happened in the Roman Empire, and this is in your notes. The spread of Christianity led to the demise of slavery. The spread of Christianity led to the demise of slavery. Look what Paul says there back in verse 5. 
Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. So he's telling uh, those who find themselves in the position of slavery to, to obey those who have authority over them as they would Jesus. And then he talks to those who have the authority. He calls them masters. And he says there, masters do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. In other words, he's saying, hey, listen, you think you're powerful because you have authority over this slave. The Roman government says you have absolute authority to tell this slave to do whatever they want, you want them to do. But understand, you have a master, and they have a master, and your master is in heaven. You both answer to him. You're on the same team. And those kind of principles began to infiltrate the Roman Empire as people became followers of Christ. And this institution, this evil institution of slavery began to crumble because its foundations began to crumble. The Romans looked at slaves as property, period. Christianity looked at slaves as people. This was a major paradigm shift for the Roman Empire. The Romans looked at slaves as subhuman. Christianity looked at slaves as equals. You both have the same master. The Romans looked at slaves as tools. Christianity looked at slaves as family, brothers and sisters in Christ. Commenting on this, Lawrence Richards writes... The New Testament does not attack the institution, but faith in Christ did undermine it. Paul's teaching about the church as one body and one family in which social distinctions were of no real significance weakened the attitudes which supported slavery. Kenneth Weiss said this, The institution is left to be undermined and removed by the gradual operation of the great Christian principles of the equality of men in the sight of God. And a common Christian brotherhood, the spiritual freedom of the Christian man, and the lordship of Christ, to which every other lordship is subordinate. And so, had Paul gone on a crusade to end slavery, he would have been laughed at and beheaded. But God had a better way to change the social fabric of the Roman Empire. And it was through the preaching of the gospel and the life transformation of those who would receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's a, an illustration of this found in the book of Philemon. When's the last time you read the book of Philemon? It's one chapter. It's right after the book of Titus. Short book. But that book's interesting because it gives us a little bit of background as to what happened with a slave and his master. There was a man named Philemon who had some sort of, uh, some level of wealth, and he owned a slave named Onesimus. And Paul knew Philemon because it seems that he had met with a church that met in Philemon's home. Well, somewhere down the line, Onesimus, slave of Philemon, ran. He escaped from his slavery. And he made his way to the great city of Rome. And guess who this runaway slave Onesimus met? He met the apostle Paul. And Paul shared the gospel with him. 
And Onesimus, the runaway slave, gave his heart to Jesus. He was saved. And then Paul did something revolutionary. So Onesimus, I want you to go back to Philemon's house where you were a slave. I want you to go back. And I'm going to send a letter. We call it the book of Philemon. I want to send a letter, and it will accompany you, and it will explain to Philemon what's going on. So one day, the runaway slave Onesimus comes walking up the lane to the house. He goes up to his former slave owner, Philemon, and he says, here's a letter from Paul. And in that letter, Paul said this, He said, I'm sending Onesimus back to you, not merely as a slave returning to captivity. I'm sending him back as your brother. He's back. Things are legal. I'll take care of any expenses you had because of this, Paul says to Philemon. Things are legal in the Roman Empire's eyes, but things are totally different, Philemon, because you're a follower of Christ. And guess what? So is Onesimus. He's your brother. Do you think things look different in that household after that? Of course. Because the evils of slavery cannot stand when Christian principles are believed and applied. And so what does this mean for us? Because we're talking about changing the world. Remember I said at the beginning of the sermon, you can change the world. Here's what it means. When we have influence, we are to leverage that influence for truth. When Christians grow to a number where they have influence in society, then Christians are to live that out. To be salt and light. To to, to stand for truth. To to, to, to stand for things that are right and just, that Christians ought to do that and be involved in political processes and be involved in the life of a nation to exercise their influence for that which is good and honoring to God. Absolutely, that ought to happen. We see it throughout human history. I believe the preaching of the gospel undermined the institution of slavery in the Roman Empire. You see it in the preaching of John Wesley and George Whitfield, which resulted in, in England abolishing slavery and child labor. And you see women being elevated through their preaching as well in Great Britain. And so all throughout human history, you see Christian principles being applied to a nation as the gospel spreads and more and more people get saved. Things began to change Evil institutions get dealt with because here's the deal. Now listen to me. Here's the deal. If a group of Christians take the Bible seriously, then God's going to use His Word to address some things that need to be addressed. Let me say it again. If a group of Christians take the Bible seriously, he's going to use his word to address some things that need to be addressed. Let me give you a little bit of history about our convention, the Southern Baptist Convention. Southern Baptist Convention was started in 1845, and it began over the issue of slavery. That's pre-Civil War. There's a lot of discussion in that time about 
slavery and, and the abolition of slavery, a lot of conflict that uh, many times um, formed up around geographic lines, north and south. And the Baptists along the east coast had a missionary mindset. They began to organize and say, we want to send out missionaries to Asia and to Africa and to other places where people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's wonderful, right? Baptists cooperating say, we want to preach the gospel. They begin to organize and raise money and, and get together. But some of those who were raising money and sending out missionaries said, wait a minute. Should we send someone as a missionary who owns slaves? That, that doesn't seem right to me. We think slavery is evil and egregious. And, and, and one person should not own another person. So we don't think that we should send missionaries who own slaves. Well, there were some churches in the South, Baptist churches, that said, wait a minute. We don't see the issue with slavery like you do, and we think we should be able to send missionaries that own slaves. And so we'll start our own convention that happened in 1845, and the name of the convention, Southern Baptist Convention. That's the roots of our, of our denomination. And you say, Wade, that's, that's uh, troubling. But let me tell you what's happened since then. Remember my principle. When, when a group of God's people take the Bible seriously, God will deal with areas that need to be dealt with. And over time, not as fast as it should have been, but over time, God began to deal with that. To our convention, denounced slavery. And even repented publicly of, of believing that slavery was acceptable. And the convention began to denounce racism. And now in our convention, there are people of... of Hispanic background, people who are African American, people who are Asian at the highest levels of leadership in our convention. And, and guess what? Our, our, our convention is very focused on starting new churches all over North America. Did you know the fastest growing demographic of churches started in America are churches that are ethnic, not Caucasian? That's the fastest growing demographic. And so God used his word and the principles of the gospel to change an entire denomination that stood for the wrong thing so that we might get on the right track and call slavery what it is, evil, amen? And racism what it is, evil. We're all made in the image of God. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of the world. That means every person has intrinsic value and worth. And God used his word, he used his truth, he used the principles of the gospel to change our convention and change our churches. When, when we take the Bible seriously, God's going to deal with some stuff. Can I get a witness? That's what he did. So, when we are outnumbered as Christians and desire sweeping change in our society, we seek to change things one heart at a time. When we have influence... We leverage that. But when we are outnumbered, when we don't have the influence we want to have in a society, 
How, we, how do we change this? One heart at a time. How did, how did the gospel undermine slavery in the Roman Empire? One heart at a time. Onesimus getting saved. Philemon applying his Christian faith. That, that's how the gospel began to change this major issue of slavery in the Roman Empire. John MacArthur says this, New Testament teaching does not focus on reforming and restructuring human systems, which are never the root cause of human problems. The issue is always the heart. It's always the heart of man, which when wicked will corrupt the best of systems, and when righteous will improve the worst. And so here's the point when we think about this historical perspective of the gospel and and slavery and how it applies to us. Listen to me. You can change the world just by treating people in accordance with Christian principles. Listen to me. You can change the world just by loving folks like Jesus. You can change the world by caring for everyone of every tribe, every tongue, every ethnicity, every skin color, treating every person with intrinsic value and worth. You can change the world just by being a Christian and living like it. That's the point. The the principles here in this text began to radically change an evil human institution. So that's a... A historical perspective. But secondly, there's a modern day perspective. There are some applications from this text to our lives. While slavery is not practiced in North America, it's, it's illegal and it's, and it's wrong and it's evil, there are some principles here about how you live when someone has authority over you and how the person that has authority ought to exercise that authority. So the modern day equivalent to these principles would be your job. How you you live out your life as a Christian employee. And how you live out your life as a Christian employer. There are these principles that are derived from this passage. Let's talk very quickly about some principles for employees. Principle number one. good. This is a good takeaway for for your job. Do what is expected of you. Look in verse 5. Verse 5, bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will. Here's what he's saying. He's saying when you have a job to do, when someone is in authority over you, when you do your job, you are actually, he says there in verse 7, Rendering service to God. Your your hard work is actually an act of worship to the Lord. Saying, I want to to perform my job in a Christian way, which means I want to do it with integrity. I want to do my best. Do what is expected of you. I tell my kids this all the time as they've... Uh, dabbled in getting you know jobs and that sort of thing, and I, I, I've told him this in our current really worker crisis going on in our nation. I said, if you'll just show up on time and do something while you're there, you'll get elevated because no one else is doing that. 
No one else showing up on time or showing up at all. And they're goofing off while they're there. And, and if you just kind of just do your job, just do something while you're there, you'll get elevated. Because there, there, there's such a, an issue going on with, with work ethic in our culture today. And Christians, listen, Christians should be people of a strong work ethic. Do what is expected of you. Secondly, maintain an attitude of respect. Verse 5, he says... Obey your earthly master with fear and trembling. That means that we ought to recognize that, that there is authority and we ought to respect that authority uh, that, that, that is over us on the job. Maintain an attitude of respect and then work with integrity. Verse 5, not by the way of eye service. Don't just start working when someone walks around. But, but even if no one's watching you, work Hard, not by the way of eye service, uh, verse 6, but as, as people pleasers do, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. So do your job with integrity. When I was in a seminary in Memphis, I, uh, I was a, a student pastor and I also had another part-time job. And my part-time job was to work a call room for a marketing researcher. And it was awful. Uh, because my hours were, were late, I'd, 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 uh, I'd go to seminary, I'd go to the church for a little while, then I'd go in late afternoon to this job and work till like 10, 11 o'clock at night. And my job was to babysit all of the workers who were hired to make phone calls. And so, I'd, you know, part of my job was to get up and I'd walk down the rows. You know, they have all these little booths of people making phone calls. They have a computer screen, they're reading a script and... Um, and it was a for they, it was a, a call room for a conservative political researcher, a believer in Christ. The, the owner was very generous to me, but uh, I'd walk up and down these rows, and when I'd come down the row, man, they're calling and they're typing and they're calling and typing and reading and calling, typing and reading, calling, typing and reading. But then I had this other little thing I could I could use to check on them. I could go back to my desk, and I could pick up the phone and punch any of their booths and listen to what they were saying on the phone. I'd walk down the aisle, man, they're busy, hard at work. I'd go and listen to them on the phone. They're talking to their girlfriend or, or their mom or they're just goofing off. And it was just totally different what was really happening versus what they wanted me to see was happening. And I would say on that job, maybe 10% actually did the job while they were there, worked hard. And that was an eye-opener for me. Young guys, one of my first you know, uh, jobs away from home. And, and uh, it was just an eye-opener how people did not want to work. But, but if you have a job, it is a gift from the Lord. And while God has you there, you're called to do what is expected of you. Maintain an attitude of respect. Work with integrity. With a sincerity of heart. But then... There are some principles for employers. If you have a position where people work under you, you have authority over a group of people, there are some principles that you can draw from this text as to how you ought to live out that authority. There's two I want to highlight. First of all, seek the welfare of employees. Look in verse 9. Masters, do the same, same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he is both their master and yours in heaven, that there's no partiality with him. And so... See, don't, don't threaten as an employer, as a boss, as a supervisor. The Christian thing to do is 
try to invest in that person, help that person, uh, try to, um, try to, to, to seek their welfare on the job. Use authority, listen to this, to help and not to harm. Probably every one of you, one of you in here have had bad bosses, right? You've had some bad bosses. And, and you don't want someone over you who's threatening and, and demeaning and wants to harm and does not really care about you as a person. The best bosses, we would all say, are those that really care, right? And seek the welfare of those working for them. And so, seek the welfare of employees. And then secondly, do not play favorites. Verse 9, there's no partiality with him. He's saying, listen, you serve your master who is in heaven, and your master in heaven, the one true God, he doesn't play favorites. You ought not to play favorites either. In other words, when you have authority, it ought not, not to get political. It ought to be real and authentic and genuine and treating everyone with respect. That's a principle for an employer. And so, here's the question. Do you want to change the world? Do you want to change the world? Do a good job at work. And you living that out, you living this out, will make a difference. It'll get folks' attention when you live this Way Again, just being a Christian at work. Just be a Christian at work. Let it affect the way you work. You can't believe the difference that will make. But third, there's a personal perspective. We've talked about the historical perspective in this text. We've talked about the modern day perspective, the practical perspective. But third and last, there's a personal perspective. A a takeaway for all of us in this room. I want you to look back in verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. And look at this next phrase. As you would Christ. So the, the assumption that Paul makes is, you are living out allegiance to Jesus. Then he says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. The assumption is, You are living out allegiance to Jesus. You are his slave, doulos. He is your master, first and foremost. Doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord. The assumption is you're serving God, first and foremost, not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. The Lord's watching you serve others, but also serve him. Then he says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. There's no partiality with him. Remember, employee. Remember, employer. In the first century, remember, slave. Remember, master. You are under greater orders. You are ultimately slaves of Jesus. That's the point that he's making. And so what's the takeaway for all of us in this room? And this is critical. All Christians should consider themselves slaves of Christ. That should be the posture of our heart, the orientation of our lives. 
that Jesus is master and we are his slave. What he says goes. He has ultimate authority over our lives. All Christians should consider themselves slaves of Christ. In this perspective, I answer first and foremost and ultimately to Jesus. This perspective will change the world because it gives us focus and determination to follow Jesus wherever and however he leads. And when Jesus is your ultimate and and preeminent master it's going to show up in the way that you live people are going to see Jesus in you because here's the deal about Jesus he's a good master amen he'll change your life people will see the difference that Jesus makes when you're simply just living as a bond servant a doulos a slave of Christ So you can change the world. You can change the world just by living out Christian principles. Treating people with dignity and respect and love and concern and compassion. Christian love based upon Christian truth will undermine the evil in this world if we'll live it out. Amen? You can change the world by just doing your job. As a Christ follower, living out Christian principles in the workplace, it will make a difference. And you can change the world by surrendering all to Jesus. And letting Him have His way in your life. Which leads me to this question. Have you surrendered all to Jesus? Can you really say with integrity of heart, Jesus is my master. Jesus calls the shots. Jesus directs my life. Jesus is Lord. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.